Good morning. Thank you, musicians. Appreciate so much every Sunday being led in worship by godly men and women who sacrifice and practice and lead us all. We often take it for granted, but thank you very much. Um, if you do have your Bible, you can open up with me to the book of Romans, Paul's epistle uh, to the Romans. Uh, we are really happy to be here. Uh, also with me is Robert Blevins. He is also uh, a team member with uh, Mission to North America. And uh, it is our job uh, to go around encouraging the churches to um, get involved in godly good works for the kingdom of God. And also, we are about the business of trying to help plant new churches. We think the best thing you can do for the poor is to plant the right kind of church in their midst. Now, I emphasize that word right, because there are plenty of irrelevant churches in America. And there are plenty of churches that can be right next to poor people and absolutely have no love for the neighborhood or the people around them. Those are not the kind of churches we plant. The kind of churches we want to plant are the ones that preach the whole counsel of God and love people. Thank you. Thank you. And I do want to, and I'm really happy you said amen, because I want to say to you, I need amens uh, to help me preach better. So if it's a bad sermon, it's your fault if you don't <laughs> amen. Uh, and you can say other appropriate things. Uh, so if you've been in a black church, you know what I mean. But uh, So before we read the word, uh, well, I just want to tell you a little bit more about ourselves. Joan and I. Uh, have been blessed by God to be at New City Fellowship. And and now uh, we have seen other churches planted out of us and uh, trying to adopt that model. And today, the New City Network, we're in about 70 cities. And uh, if you ever get discouraged, if you're in the PCA and you say, you know, we are a white middle-class denomination and we're not making an impact culturally or socially, I want you to know that's not true. I want you to know God is at work through you and, and in our midst. And uh, there's nothing wrong with being white middle class. That's not a sin. It's just that if that's all we are as a denomination, when the rest of the country is not that way, we are missing pursuing the kingdom of God among all the people of this nation. And so there is a call to us, a, a missionary call, uh, to reach out to everybody in America. And uh, uh, for too long, we have ignored people who are often living right next door to us to step over to them and go to people who look just like us. And so we're trying to change that. And I, I will tell you that God is really at work in the PCA. We, we made a, a real uh, significant confession of sin last year as a general assembly confessing our sin of racism, especially during the days of the civil rights movement, where we basically stood apart. And even some of our founders were on the wrong side of justice. And that's a shame to us. The joy is that Jesus forgives sins. So no matter how we've screwed up, Christ died for us, thank God. And we can be forgiven and we can be reconciled. God can bring us to have love and peace together. So that's what we're trying to practice. Hallelujah. So I need you to be praying for me as I preach this morning. And uh, let's pray and then I'll read our text. Heavenly Father, thank you 
so much for the opportunity to come to church one more time, one more Sunday morning, to be gathered together in the name of Christ and to worship without fear, in freedom, to be able to sing your praises, to read the scriptures, to cry out to you and pray and ask for help, to hear the word of God, uh, not only read but preached to us, to take the sacrament. Oh Lord Jesus, thank you for the pleasure, the joy, the encouragement of it all. Lord, we're asking that you would send the Holy Spirit and anoint me to preach your word. Lord, I know you have an agenda for every person who's here. I pray you would accomplish it today. Do it for your glory. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear the word of the Lord. Now to him, this is uh, Romans 16, starting at verse 25. Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested, and by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, be the glory forever. Amen. Now this is what is known as a doxology. And often you will, you will hear it at the end of a uh, book of the Bible. You'll hear it at the end of, of, of a service. At, in your bulletin, usually there's a place that's called benediction. And, and these are usually either prayers or praises to God or encouragements to the people of God. And they often combine as one. And so right here, as Paul ends the book of Romans, he has this doxology. And and this is not the first time he's been praising God in Romans. Romans is such a cool book that every once in a while, Paul can't help himself. And he just starts praising God. You know, he writes things down. Oh, to God be the glory. You know, Because the doctrines and the truths in the book of Romans are so amazing. They're fantastic. They're wonderful. And so here he comes to the end of the book. And in a way, I want you to kind of look at this as a doxology with a parenthesis. You know what a parenthesis is, right? Those are those two little half moons when you're writing something and you sort of have a thought. In, in right in the middle of another thought, and you want to stick it in there, and you put those two little things in there. To, that's a parenthesis, and, and, and it's, it's what happens here. I'll show you what I mean. Look at verse 25. He says, now to him, stop. You could put a, put a parenthesis, a notation mark right there, and, and go right down to the end in verse 27. Be the glory forever. Amen. He didn't have to say all this other stuff. He could have just said, now to him be the glory forever. Amen. But Paul is so full of God and theology, he can't help himself. So before he can get to be the glory forever, amen, he's still got more stuff to say. And that's the sermon this morning. The parenthesis 
on the way to God's glory. And I don't want you to forget that. That's where we're heading. We're heading to the glory of God. All that Paul is going to remind us of in a few sentences is all about the glory of God. Everybody say glory. Glory. It's the glory of God that he's about, that you and I ought to be about. But on the way, I've got conveniently three points (laughs) from this parenthesis. And the first one, they all start with the letter P. This morning is brought to you by the letter P. Uh, is possibility. Possibility and promise. Those are our first point. And here's what Paul says. Now to him who is able to establish you. Some of your Bibles may say strengthen you. He is able to establish, strengthen you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. And I've got good news for you today. That God is able to strengthen you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. I don't know if anybody here feels kind of weak this morning. Or if you've been struggling in your life, spiritually. Paul says, God is able to strengthen you. You know, uh, you could just preach a sermon on God is able. That'll preach, right? Don't ever forget that. When you are unable, when you are defeated, when you are weak, when you're broken and beat down, remember that little phrase, God is able. And He doesn't depend on you to be able. All His sufficiency comes from Himself. He is able. It means He's powerful. He's got all the power you and I need. And Paul says here, He's able to strengthen and establish you Through my gospel. Now, when you get to heaven, you can tell Paul, I don't like that my gospel stuff. Why are you saying that's our gospel? And Paul will say, amen. But he said, I'm the one who preached it and wrote about it. So I get to say my gospel. And so what is the gospel? And and I got to be careful here because I could preach uh, way too long on my first point. Because the gospel is such a wonderful, amazing idea. You know, the word gospel means good news. You should, we all know that. And what's it the good news about? Well, the good news starts with bad news. And what's the bad news about? You. The bad news is that you and I are victims of our first parents. Adam and Eve, they sinned. They fell away from God and sin came into the world. And our whole creation got messed up. And then as more babies were born, we got better and better at sin. And we brought violence into the world. And all the suffering and death and disease and crime and terrorism and every bad thing you can think of is laid right at our feet. We are responsible for all the mess that has come into the world. That's the bad news. It gets worse. Not only have we brought corruption into the world that now leads us to our physical deaths, But we now face a judgment from a holy and almighty God who says it is appointed unto man once to die, but after this, the judgment. So not only are a lot of us going through misery here, and pretty much all of us experience some misery sooner or later, but then can you imagine living a a horrible life on earth, and some people's lives are more horrible than others, and then you get to the judgment, and God 
condemns you for your sinfulness and sends you to hell. That's a bad day. I tell you, that's the bad news. But here's the good news. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whosoever believeth in Him, whosoever believeth in Him, should not perish, but have everlasting life. Yeah, that's just part of the good news. Here's more of it. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait for us to get better. He didn't wait for us to clean up our act. He didn't wait for us to resolve that from now on we wouldn't live in in the the sins of our youth when we screwed up so much. But now we're going to live on the straight and narrow. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Here's even better news. That when I was dead in my trespasses and sins and didn't even want to come to God, it has been by grace that I have been saved through faith. And that not of myself. It was a gift of God, not by works, lest any man should boast. By grace. Free, amazing, wonderful grace that came upon you one day. Some of you didn't even want God. Some of you were running as fast as you could away from God. And God's mighty, amazing hand reached from heaven and grabbed hold of you and arrested you and brought you to Himself. Hallelujah. That's a a testimony that you have if you've been saved. Now here's, there's more to the good news. The good news is that even as you were saved and brought to Christ and the Holy Spirit came into your life to bring about regeneration and to now indwell you, here's, here's, here's part of the residual effect of being a sinner. You and I still sin. And... This is so discouraging. Some of us have been wonderfully saved. Some of us grew up in the Sunday school, grew up in Christian homes, and we, we increasingly found out how much God loved us, and we're saved, and we come into to the realization that we still get tempted. And sometimes some of us get, we feel pretty weak. We feel like anything could blow us aside. We feel like sometimes... We're never going to make it to heaven. And we feel sometimes so ashamed that even after naming Christ, we have indulged our flesh. We have fallen into addictions. We have given our hearts over to hatred and to bitterness and resentment. We, we've been ripped apart by lust. We, am I talking about anybody here? May, oh, okay. I was thinking maybe I'm... I grew, I'm a, I live in Chattanooga. Maybe that's just our problem up there. Now here's the reality. It's discouraging. We come to Jesus. We say we're Christians. And we still screw up. Not only that, but other people see it. Sometimes the people of the world see it. And they condemn us. And they say, you Christians, you... You talk about being saved and you say you're forgiven and you're going to heaven. But look at the hypocrisy. Look at the racism. Look at the prejudice and the bias. And and, and look at the the sometimes secret lives that every once in a while even make headlines. Even pastors and preachers uh, 
abusing people sexually and all kinds of horrible things. We struggle with sin. But here's the good news of the gospel. That inside of us is the Lord Jesus. And He is the only one fully capable of living the Christian life and He lives in you. And that's why the Apostle Paul said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. Here's more good news. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that if God be for us, who can be against us? Who will bring any charge against God's elect? It is Christ who died, yea, rather, who is risen again. Oh, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. I'm just telling you the gospel. And Paul is saying that by my gospel, God is able to help you stand strong. He that hath begun a good work in you will complete it. Until the day of Jesus Christ. Put your hope in the Lord Jesus. He says by the preaching of Jesus Christ. He's able to strengthen you. When you get beaten down. And when you feel defeated. There is only one hope for you. And it is not to try harder. It is to believe. That God loves you. Christ died for you. And he is able to deliver you. From the bondage of your sins. Listen, Christianity is not a life where you accept Christ, you you believe a certain doctrine, and then you go out in your life and you keep screwing up, and you just say, forgive me God, and you screw up, forgive me God, you screw up, forgive me God. That's not the Christian life. The Christian life is God saves you, the Holy Spirit indwells you, you struggle with sin, and God delivers you. But we always acknowledge the struggle. So I just, I just came by to give you some good news. In spite of the struggle, God is able. You may not be, and you aren't. Let me just, let's just, let's just get to that point. You're not. You are not the one able to establish yourself to make sure you are holy and righteous so that you're qualified for heaven. You don't have that ability, but God does. He accomplished it in His own Son, Jesus Christ. And as you come to faith in Him, He takes the righteousness of Christ and He dresses you in it. You don't have to fear the judgment. You don't have to fear standing in front of God and saying, God, I loved you and I wanted so bad to live for you, but man, I messed up so many times. God's going to say, shut up. I solved this problem. You believed in me. You trusted me. And I forgave you. And I have qualified you for heaven by giving to you the righteousness of my own dear son. That's the gospel. Yeah, you, somebody should be shouting, but there ain't no shout. Someday, white people will be liberated. And... Let's move on to my second point. 
Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel in the preaching of Jesus Christ, according to the revelation of the mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested by the scriptures of the prophets according to the commandment of the eternal God. My second point is God has a plan. The first point was there is a possibility and a promise to establish you. My second point is God has a plan to include the nations. So here's Paul. He's, he's sort of summing up all his theology in these several sentences before he gets to this concluding idea that it's to God's glory. So he saves you. And for a lot of us as American Christians, that has been all we've ever focused on. Our individual salvation. And I'm glad for it. I'm glad to be saved. But I will tell you, I'm also glad that historically, God had a plan. And that plan was hidden. That's what Paul says. It was a mystery. Now, we learn more about that in Ephesians chapter 3. We learn that the Jewish people had been hoping for the Messiah. But they had not read the scriptures carefully enough to realize that it wasn't all about them. They had the idea that we are Jews, we are the people of God, we're Israel, we're the chosen people, and the Messiah is going to come to us, and he's going to deliver us. And many of them thought, especially in the days of Jesus when the Romans were oppressing them, what it means is the Messiah will liberate us, from this political oppression. We'll finally get the glory that we should have because back as in the days of David, King David and Solomon, we want that glory back and we're waiting for the Messiah to finally provide that political freedom and and, and the blessing that He promises in the Bible for the kingdom of God. And We're waiting for it, we're looking for it and they missed you. When I say you, I'm assuming that most everybody here is a Gentile. Because to the Jews, there are only two kinds of people. There are Jews and Gentiles. If you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. You come from some other ethnic group, some other nation. Now, not only is the good news of the gospel is that God saves individual sinners, but the good news of the gospel is that God had a plan to include the Gentiles. And if you were not part of that plan... You don't get saved. You don't get to enjoy individual salvation and having your sins forgiven if God doesn't have a plan to include the Gentiles. Somewhere along the line of history, some missionary came to your people group. You say, well, I don't know what you're talking about. I I wasn't a Christian. I got saved at at some church service. What is it? What are you talking about? No, 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 no. If the gospel had never come to Europe... If the gospel had never come to Africa, if the gospel had never come to India, which it did in its earliest days, then individuals would never have heard the gospel from an evangelist or a Sunday school teacher or even a Christian parent. Somewhere back in history, that door had to be open to a culture, to a people group. And the gospel walked through. And it came to you. And you were saved. That's God's plan for the nations. And it was a mystery, Paul says in Ephesians 3. 
And he said, God gave to me the administration of this mystery to let you know that one day at the cross, God took the Jewish people and the Gentiles and he put them both together at the cross, creating one new man. And he broke down the middle wall of partition and he made peace. Now, do you, do you understand what this means? It means that every ethnic group and every racial group that's ever hated each other has been brought together in all the group of the Gentiles to be brought together with the Jews at the cross. Thus making peace is what Ephesians chapter 2 says. Thus making peace. That's reconciliation. What I'm trying to tell you is that at the cross, not only did we get our justification for our sins, but we got reconciled to God through Christ and to each other. This means that no longer can any racial or ethnic group say, I am superior to you. No longer should any ethnic or racial group say, I'm inferior to you. We have now been brought together at the cross of Jesus Christ. We are one. It has been accomplished for us at the cross. That's God's plan. It's always been His plan. Jesus said, I've got sheep that are not of this sheepfold. That's you and me. The gate is open. We can come. I don't, I don't come up against the wall of Jewishness or the nation of Israel and say, I'm, I can't get in. God said, no. I sent my son Jesus so you can get in. And this is exactly what churches ought to represent. You know, the terrible sin of us is that we have... We have come to Jesus even as cultures and nations and we have taken Jesus and wrapped our cultural identity around him and said, he's ours, but he's not yours. God forbid. Yeah, you know how it goes? You know, there was a church that in Jerusalem and they went and then there was the Syrian church, the Armenian church. They went over and they became the Greek Orthodox church and went up north, became the Russian Orthodox church went over to Italy, became the Roman Catholic Church, went to Germany, became the German Lutheran Church and the German Reformed Church, went to England, became the Anglican Church, went to Scotland and the greatest height of theology took place and became the Scottish Presbyterian Church, you know. (laughs) Came to black folks, became the African Methodist Episcopal Church. You know, every, every ethnic group, racial group, we took Jesus, we wrapped ourselves around and said, He's ours! And this is how you worship Him. You sing this kind of music. You act this kind of way in church. You know, my wife says she doesn't understand how white people can stand still when they sing. That's a cultural thing, but we all grow up in our culture and we don't even realize how, how, it, how it makes us think. We think we're normal, everybody else is abnormal. We think we're right and everybody else is wrong. And when a lot of those things are just different, But we set those things sometimes up and said, no, if you aren't in this way, you can't really be a Christian. The gospel has always been cross-cultural. Always. And it's still meant to be so. 
And now in America, we have a great missionary challenge and a missionary opportunity because the nations have come to us. And if we just are one kind of folk in this great land of opportunity, we have missed the call of God. And I want you to understand, this is not easy. It is not easy. Because, you know, people would rather compromise their theology than compromise the way they sing. Strange thing about us. But you, you could have preachers get up and preach heresy and the people go, oh, whatever, you know, I can go along with that. Oh, but you changed the music. Uh-uh. Brothers and sisters, this is the missionary challenge because it's God's plan. It's God's plan. And may God help you here at UPC to be that kind of inclusive church. To be that kind of church that says, we want to meet that challenge. We want to take that risk. We, we want to spread the gospel people different than us and bring them in. And I'll tell you, we'll be richer for it. You might as well get ready for it because it's going to be that way in heaven. Because there are going to be people there from every tribe, tongue, and language. Amen? Amen. And nation. Hallelujah. Now let's get to my third point. And this is God's purpose. It says here, this mystery which has been kept secret for long ages past, but now is manifested or made known by the scriptures of the prophets, according to the commandment of the eternal God, has been made known to all the nations, leading to obedience of faith. God's purpose in bringing the gospel and including the Gentiles was that every nation would come to the obedience of faith. Now, you know what this reminds me of? It reminds me of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, where Jesus says to his disciples, going into all the world, make disciples of every nation, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. The the idea of the Great Commission is to make disciples leading to the obedience of the nations. Just, Just for a moment, would you do me a favor? Would you think about what ethnic group or racial group you are? Now, I know some of you said, all I know is I'm an American. Okay, just think of yourself as an American. Think about your own racial or ethnic group for a second. Does your ethnic group or national group have any cultural sins? Is your people group infamous for any kind of particular sins? Now, don't be thinking about somebody else's ethnic group. I'm asking you to think about yours. You might ask me, wait a minute, are you saying that we can sin as a culture? We could sin as a, an, a nation? Yes! You know, one of the most politically incorrect things ever written in the Bible is when Paul writes to Titus, and he's talking about the people of Crete. And he says this, he says, all Cretans are liars. That is just wrong. 
You know, I, know, I think about being a missionary to Crete, and I'm figuring out how to apologize for that text. Here's, here's the thing. We can stereotype people, and we can make generalizations about those group of people are like that. But there are some times when those generalizations are dead on. They're right on target. This is the way that group of people is. And it's not good or healthy for you to talk about their group. But what is healthy is to talk about your own group. And to realize these are our sins. Now, imagine your people group, your ethnicity, your race or your nation being righteous. What would it look like? What would it look like, okay, I'm a white American. What would it look for, like for white people to be righteous? How would we be different? Can you imagine white people without a feeling of racial superiority? Can you imagine white people as being humble and kind and loving? Can you imagine an America that did not abort its babies? Can you imagine a culture that was not driven by sexuality and sensuality? Can you imagine a culture of justice? Of mercy? Wouldn't it be beautiful? If every nation in the world and every ethnic group and every racial group We're full of Jesus. And all their best qualities were on full display. Wouldn't that be some place to live? That's what Jesus wants. He wants every nation to become discipled and obedient by faith. Not by coercion. Not because we force them to, but because whole people groups come to believe in Christ and are changed by the power of the Holy Spirit and begin to live out their lives culturally as neighbors who love one another, as people who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the will of God. God wants America the nation that we live in and that we love. He wants us to be a nation whose God is the Lord. He wants us uh, to be a nation of righteousness that would exalt us and not be given over to sin. And you say, Pastor, that's a fairy tale. That'll never happen. Don't you ever tell God what He can't do. It is not in our strength as human beings, but it is in the hand of the Lord. You say, but, but pastor, it's fallen too far. It's, God's judgment may be, may come upon, it may. There are nations that no longer exist. There are ethnic groups that no longer exist. God has brought judgment upon them. You can't read the Old Testament and not know that. Sodom and Gomorrah are no more. God forbid that should be our future. May God grant that our future be mercy. May God grant that our future be repentance. May God grant that our future be love and reconciliation and peace.
And it's possible through the gospel, through people coming to faith. So I just wanted to give you a little glimpse of the parenthesis on the way to the glory of God. The gospel, God's plan for ethnic inclusion, God's plan for the obedience of the nations. And as the Lord uses you and I to accomplish it, however He will, it has one great goal, the glory of God. May we get there. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the Word. And I pray, Lord, that You would please do a work of grace in us. Please establish and strengthen us in the Gospel. And please let us share it with the nations who have not yet heard it. And Lord, let us live it in a nation that so desperately needs it, our own. And we ask, Lord, that this doxology might come true, that it all might be to the glory of God. And in Jesus' name we ask it. Amen.